Emerald Podcast Series. Research that makes a difference. Hello, welcome to the Emerald Podcast Series. My name is Thomas and my guest today is Emma Milne, an assistant professor in criminal law and criminal justice at Durham University. Emma's research is interdisciplinary, focusing on criminal law and criminal justice responses to newborn child killing and fetal harm. The wider context of Emma's work is social controls and regulations of all women, notably in relation to pregnancy, sex and reproduction. So Dr. Emma Mill, thank you very, very much for joining me. Thank you for inviting me on today. What is the key focus of your research? I look at how the criminal law and the criminal justice system respond if they believe a woman has killed or harmed her infant or her late-term fetus. So I'm covering the areas that we would traditionally think of as infanticide, but also thinking about the criminalisation of abortion. And you've outlined this in your recent book, Criminal Justice Responses to Maternal Filicide, Judging the Failed Mother. Yes, uh, it's almost a year old this year, so happy first birthday to my book. (laughs) Happy birthday to your book. (laughs) The book is a mixture of my PhD research and also some expansion of that research that I conducted in my immediate uh, post-PhD work. It was very much one of those studies that developed, as I would hope all good research does, of coming from the data and coming from the literature. So when I started my PhD, my supervisor and I had this rather odd conversation where we knew that I wanted to look at women's use of violence and how women's use of violence was understood and perceived and we had to kind of pick a crime so we had this very odd conversation of thinking about all the sorts of awful things that that everybody does including women and landed on infanticide it very much just went from there of when I started looking at the law and looking at cases and looking at how the law has continued to be used and has developed that some real oddities started to come about and a real a pressing need to really look into these cases and to understand how this law is being used and what the implications of the law are became the real focus of, of the research. Because this is an unusual crime, as you mentioned. When it was mentioned to me, I was thinking King Herod um, in terms of killing children, uh, but it is a very present issue as well. Yes, so infant killing, it's mostly done by men and uh, fathers and stepfathers in particular. However, women do commit a significant proportion of these types of killing, which is unusual because generally women don't commit a huge amount of violence. But when they do kill, one of the groups that they are most likely to kill are their, their infants. And when the child is a newborn child, it is almost certainly going to be the mother that commits that type of killing. I should say that this is in the research I look at is England and Wales, and this is a pattern we see mostly in the Western world and, and the global north, the t- killings of infants tend to be quite different in the global south. I haven't heard that before. Can you tell me a little bit about the differences? I think one of the other things that is often associated with the word infanticide is the sorts of killings that we see in India and China, which tend to be of, of baby girls in particular. That's a very different type of killing of infants, and it, it's done for very different reasons. What we see in England and Wales and other countries in the global north is these killings tend to happen, particularly when the woman kills the child, in the context of a crisis pregnancy and a crisis for that woman as she mothers those children. So it's not 
targeting a baby because of its sex. It's not a desire to, to rid the family of an unwanted baby. Instead, this is much more likely to be a mother in crisis responding in a way that she probably regrets almost instantly. I'm very interested about um, crisis pregnancies. You looked at a number of case studies. Could you describe for our listeners what kind, what makes a, a crisis pregnancy? The first thing to keep in mind about these women is that they are incredibly vulnerable. They, they have different types of vulnerabilities and, and different levels of vulnerabilities. But we are talking about situations where women are living in a significant amount of poverty, where they have experienced intimate partner violence and abuse where they are incredibly fearful of what will happen and the response by their family and by their partner if it is found out that they are pregnant. Some of these women have a history of not being able to recognise that they are pregnant or recognising incredibly late that they are pregnant. Essentially, the the recognition of pregnancy sends them into a a form of of panic and and denial. So all of these reasons for these women, for various reasons here, they're various different vulnerabilities experience a pregnancy that they conceal or they deny and that's both from the people around them but also from themselves so I use the term crisis pregnancy because I think it it really adequately captures that notion of the pregnancy has caused them a crisis Mm. now one of the things I want to be clear about is crisis pregnancy is a term that's used by anti-abortion clinics in the US so they they set up crisis pregnancy centers and that's a very different use of the the word which doesn't fit with what I'm saying so in those centers they encourage women in who say they want abortions and then effectively try and convince them to not have an abortion so the definitions as I use it is is very different an unwanted pregnancy is not going to be a crisis pregnancy as long as a woman has options to be able to deal with that pregnancy if it's unwanted and she can't deal with it either because of legal abortion not being available or for some of the other reasons that I've previously outlined, then it could become a crisis pregnancy. I see. Thank you very much for making clear some of those differences. And yes, they are different in different contexts, uh, especially between the US and the UK. So in the UK, what it looks like we're looking at is pregnancies where there's no support, indeed, you know, real personal crisis. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. So to give you an example from one of the cases that I looked at in the books, The woman was in an abusive relationship. People around her reported later that they say that they knew she was pregnant. She says she knew, but she couldn't really tell anybody. She couldn't admit it. She attempted to seek an abortion within the time limit. But within England and Wales, abortion is generally not legal after 24 weeks of pregnancy. So she attempted to obtain an abortion, but her abusive partner prevented her from leaving the house that day and so she wasn't able to seek that medical care. He claims that he had no idea she was pregnant even though other people say that she was very clearly showing and the pregnancy ended after he assaulted her and she gave birth on her own to a premature baby. So this is an instance where this woman has limited opportunities to be able to address this pregnancy her crisis pregnancy because of her abusive partner if she hadn't been in that relationship or if she'd been away able to get away from that man then very possibly she'd have happily continued the pregnancy and and happily mothered that child but the context of the abusive relationship was what made that a crisis pregnancy and you mentioned something about the cutoff date right for when an abortion is legal 
Yes. So in England and Wales, abortion is actually always illegal under the 1861 Offences Against the Person Act. What makes abortion legal in this country is the Abortion Act of 1967, which provides a number of reasons that would give a legal defence to a medical doctor who allows an abortion to go ahead if it's done under the regulations and, and the controls of the Abortion Act. So there's a couple of uh, of those regulations that allow abortion at any gestational stage. So, for example, if the woman's health is at risk or if the woman's life is at risk, an abortion can take place at any stage. Also, if the child or the fetus has a disability, a severe disability that potentially means it won't survive after birth or might die in utero, then an abortion can take place in those instances. But abortions that are categorised as for the health and well-being and, and mental health of the pregnant woman or her family, so what we would consider to be Section A abortions, they can only take place up to 24 weeks. And as I've said, that legal defence is only there for doctors. It's not there for women who self-abort, either through ordering medication via the internet or perhaps other means. Yeah, we're really looking at England and Wales. It's a very different legal situation in, say, Ireland. And then we we have it as the headline of this topic, um, this podcast. We have abortion in America, where the situation has recently changed due to Roe versus Wade. So if you don't mind, the, the very simple and very complex question, what is Roe versus Wade? So Roe versus Wade was a landmark case in 1973 that was brought uh, as a test case to challenge the ban of abortion in states in the US. So the principle of Roe v. Wade that was put forward and that the, the Supreme Court of the United States agreed with and therefore uh, found in favour of Roe was that a woman has the right to privacy under uh, uh, the 14th Amendment of the US Constitution and as a consequence, the state can't interfere with that right until the state itself has a um, pressing need to be involved with the fetus. Mm. So and that, that need doesn't, doesn't happen until the fetus has essentially uh, met the point of viability, which is understood to be 24 weeks. So prior to viability, Roe v. Wade upheld the idea that a woman has a right to an abortion and the state doesn't have the right to stop that abortion from taking place. Now, over the years since Roe v. Wade uh, happened and, and, and was found in favour of Roe, the abortion rights in the US have been slowly being chipped away, chipped away, chipped away. And it's very much been seen as a matter of, of when, not if, Roe v. Wade is overturned uh, for a whole variety of reasons. Most recently, we can see the reasons being that the division of the court, rather than being a balance between those who lean more to the right and those who lean more to the left has very much fallen along the lines of the right under Trump. So the ability for um, the overturning of Roe v. Wade and as a consequence, the ending of this notion that a woman has a right to legal abortion uh, has been the consequence of the recent hearing. And therefore, in some states, you know, the outcome has been that women have lost the right to abortion at any stage of gestation. Mm. So women uh, who are in the you know the very earliest stages even they can't obtain that medical care you know it's an incredible it's a dire situation for women in america and it's one of those um odd things where in the us women technically had the right prior to roe v wade being overturned women technically had the right to abortion 
And yet in certain states, it was incredibly difficult to access abortion. Whereas in England and Wales, women have no legal right to an abortion because abortion is illegal unless it's conducted in line with the Abortion Act. And yet abortion is generally very easily accessible in England and Wales. So having a legal right to something doesn't necessarily allow it to to manifest itself as, as we saw in the US prior to Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade obviously got rid of that legal right. So unfortunately, women in many states in America are now in, in dire situations in terms of their reproductive rights. That is a very interesting illustration of the difference between in theory and in practice. Absolutely. And I think this is something I'm sure we're going to come on to talk about. But one of the reasons why there was an expectation that Roe v. Wade was eventually going to be overturned and the fear that this wasn't a solid foundation on which women would be able to access their reproductive rights has been the development that we've seen in America in relation to uh, fetuses being given criminal protection in various states and in federal law, which is a, a big feature of something I talk about in the book. Would you like to elaborate? One of the key things, so bearing in mind I'm looking at cases in England and Wales in the book, so I, I wasn't looking directly at uh, US law, or, although I do use it as a, as a comparator. So in England and Wales, we still have in place what is known as the Born Alive Rule. Now, the mm-hmm. Born Alive Rule is a requirement that in order to become a legal person with the, the full protection of the criminal law, you have to have been born alive. Mm-hmm. If you haven't been born alive and you are in utero or even still a part of your body has not fully left your mother's birth canal, then you are not considered a legal person. And as a consequence, you're not protected by the criminal law in the same way as as you and I are now. So this has a real impact on the sorts of cases that I look at in the book, because depending on whether or not there is proof that a person has been born alive, the child has been born alive, depends upon the sorts of of offences that are able to be used by the prosecution to charge the woman after the baby has died. Now, this becomes incredibly important when we think about the behavior of these women who are in crisis. So that's something Mm. to keep in mind. These women are not going and getting pregnant because they really want to kill a newborn baby. That's not what happens in these cases. These are women who are experiencing crisis. But there's a real difference between if there is clear evidence that the baby was born alive and then the woman didn't do anything to stop that baby from dying. So say one of the cases she gave birth to the baby, this woman, and then passed out very soon afterwards. And when she woke up, the baby had died. Mm. Now, there was evidence in that case that that baby had been born alive. And as a consequence, she was facing potential convictions for murder, potentially, because of neglect. Yes. You know, other other crimes such as child neglect, uh, which is what she was eventually convicted of rather than a homicide offence. Now, if there was no evidence that that baby was born alive, then you've got a situation where she potentially hasn't committed any crimes at all because the child was never a legal person. So it becomes incredibly important when you have a born alive rule as to the sorts of criminal offences that can be used to capture the behaviour of of these women. In the United States, dating back to the 1970s, so this was actually before Roe v. Wade, uh, the the hearing of Roe v. Wade, uh, US states started changing 
their penal code to remove the principle of the born alive rule. So the first state that did this was California. And when we look at this case, we can see that it was potentially done for very, very positive and and good reasons. Um, The phrase, the road to hell is paved with good intentions comes into mind. So a man had attacked his ex-wife who was pregnant after he found out that she was having a baby with, uh, with her new partner. And um, he, he purposely attacked her with the intention of, of hurting the fetus. That, was, that mm. was quite clear. He said something like, I'm going to stamp it out of you or something like that. Absolutely horrendous. You know, and this, this man deserved to, to have the full force of the criminal law. However, the ruling was that he couldn't be convicted of a homicide offence of the fetus who sadly did die because the fetus had never been born alive. Yes. So the law was changed quite quickly in order to add the fetus to potential victims of homicide. And that was, California was the first state to do that. Now, that was the start of lots of different changes to penal codes across states in the US and changes in in slightly different ways. So the fetus being added as a victim, a criminal offence of feticide being created as an example. Other states brought in, um, changed the definition of a child. So child abuse could now be committed against a fetus because a fetus was legally deemed to be a child. In many respects, a lot of these changes were done with the intention of helping to protect fetuses when women were attacked by third parties. In some instances, though, it's quite clear this was done, uh, the changes to the legislation was done with the intention of stopping or trying to stop pregnant women from acting in ways that are deemed to harm the fetus. So one example being in Alabama, they have a criminal offence of exposing a minor to a chemical substance that's called chemical endangerment. Now that piece of legislation was brought in with the purpose of making it illegal for parents to cook meth in mm. an environment where their children's were. So it was it was very much to try and protect children from being exposed to those sorts of chemicals. And then very quickly, prosecutors started applying it to pregnant women who were known to have taken drugs whilst they were pregnant, regardless of the outcome for the fetus. So the baby could be born completely healthy with no detrimental impact from the substance that she had taken. And yet, because she had tested positive for drugs while she was pregnant, she was then considered to be committing chemical endangerment and was prosecuted accordingly. There's also been a couple of cases where this has been used, this offence has been used, where women have been using prescription drugs. So for example, using methadone, which is a drug that's prescribed to help women who are addicted to heroin, Mm. those women have also found themselves being prosecuted. So the consequence for women of constructing the fetus as a legal a subject that is protected under criminal law has just been absolutely devastating for women in the United States. So although, as I said earlier, sorry, we do have the Born Alive Rule here in England and Wales, that is still in place. However, when you look at the cases that I've looked at, actually what you can see is that although on paper the Born Alive Rule continues to exist, we still see a number of prosecutions and a number of cases where there's no evidence that the baby was born alive. And yet women are being talked about as if they have killed a fetus as if it is has the same level of legal protection as a born child. So although we technically don't have fetal homicide laws in this country, 
Mm. What we do have are a number of pieces of legislation that can be used as if they are proxies for fetal homicide law. When we're looking at all these laws, are they effective in protecting fetuses, protecting babies' health, life, well-being? That is possibly one of the most horrifying aspects when, if we go back to the US and we think about what's happening there. So in states where it is now illegal for women to do certain things, to have to exhibit certain behaviour while they are pregnant, the consequence for the health and well-being of both women and their unborn children is absolutely horrendous. So one of the things that we absolutely know is true is that a negative pregnancy outcome is much more likely to happen if a woman doesn't have medical care while she's pregnant. One of the things that is most important is to ensure that that a woman is being seen by midwives, by doctors while she's pregnant. Now, if a woman is terrified that she is going to be reported to the police, if she presents and tells them certain information or they assume certain information about her. You know, as I've already said, there's a really good chance she's just going to avoid medical care. And there's been clear evidence of that in certain states in the US. There's also clear evidence that there have been instances where women have been concerned about prosecution and as a consequence have decided to have an abortion. So one of the stories that I read about, and this is one of these things that I read about it and I have now never been able to find it ever again after the reading about it the first time, was a story where a woman had been painting a fence while she was pregnant and she later found out the paint had a level of toxins in it and as a consequence she was deemed to have exposed her fetus to these toxins. So it came under the, the similar chemical endangerment laws I was talking about earlier. This was a baby she wanted you know she wanted to be pregnant but she was facing criminal prosecution so as a consequence she had an abortion in order to ensure she wasn't going to be prosecuted that's an extraordinary case now that is a horrifying situation absolutely completely horrifying situation protecting fetuses using the criminal law to try and stop women's behavior just doesn't work it has horrendous consequences for women, but also for their unborn children. Again, the cases you looked at in your book was very complete over a 10-year period, and it seemed very much to be the situation around these women, the choices they were able to make. Is that fair? I think using the phrase, the choices they were able to make, is, is a really important phrase to be using when thinking about these cases, specifically thinking about the cases that I looked at in England and Wales, because... <laughs> You know, the reality is that the sorts of cases I looked at, they're incredibly vulnerable women who feel they can't recognize themselves or tell people that they are pregnant. It's it's an incredibly unusual situation to have happen. You know, if it, it generally, if a woman finds out she's pregnant and either she doesn't want to be or it sent her into a panic at the thought of being pregnant, usually she goes and talks to someone. You know, she has someone there who she can confide in. Um, usually she recognises it quite early on as well, so she's able to take steps reasonably quickly. These women, for the various reasons of their, their vulnerability, just couldn't do that. Mm. And one of the, the questions I really ask about these cases and about the decisions to prosecute and the conviction outcomes is all of these women are treated as if they took purposeful, intentional steps at every point during this process. 
um, intentional steps to hide the pregnancy, intentional steps to not seek assistance, intentional steps to go into labor and have the baby without anybody there to support them. And when you look at these cases and the background of these cases and the levels of vulnerability of the women and the crisis that's caused by the pregnancy, it's just not the reality that they had clear steps they could take to stop this and that they just chose not to do it like that is it's a very naive reading of these cases and of the situations that these women face and I think the same could be said for when you're looking to the situations in the United States of women who for example take recreational drugs while they're pregnant you know to simply to simply look at these women and say well you shouldn't have taken you shouldn't have you know smoking that marijuana or you, sh- you shouldn't have, have taken the crack cocaine or you know whatever it was again it's it completely misrepresents and misunderstands what's going on in women's lives and the situations they are in and it does both the cases in England and Wales and the cases in the US it does lead me to to conclude to wonder and, and to conclude that actually this is far less about understanding and and wanting to to ensure a a healthy fetus and a healthy baby are much less about wanting to control and regulate women's bodies. Mm. Uh, So a number of American scholars, particularly women of colour, they have pointed to the fact that uh, this is about the state control and regulation of motherhood. Because something that should absolutely be said about what's happening in the US and the use of fetal homicide laws is that it is mostly women of colour who are being targeted by these offences. So it's not being applied equally. You know, your white woman who lives in a nice bit of Beverly Hills and has private medical insurance who uses drugs, finds out she's pregnant and has a positive pregnancy test when she goes to see her, her doctor is probably not going to have the police phoned on her. She's possibly going to be quietly put into a very well-funded drug rehabilitation program that her medical insurance will fund for her. It's the woman who lives in inner city LA who's black, who is going to a state-funded medical facility who is much more likely to have the police phoned. So this isn't just about the universal, we want to protect all fetuses. This seems to be much more about we want to punish certain women because they failed to demonstrate the correct behavior that we expect from women and we expect from mothers. And that's, you know, it's a key theme that comes out throughout the cases that I looked at in England and Wales. It's a key theme that comes out from analysis that's been done, the cases in the US, is there are clear narratives here about what does it mean to be a good mother and what does it mean to be a responsible pregnant woman. They are standards that are, you know, almost universally unable to be met by any woman because they are so high this notion of the woman will do absolutely anything she uh, that is possible at all to protect the fetus and to protect her baby it's just not feasible for for most women and particularly for the most vulnerable women in our societies again I think it goes back to something I've said before which this is not about protecting fetuses because if it was about protecting fetuses we'd have support and care to enable women to get the supporting care they need. We wouldn't have punishment and criminalisation. Okay, thank you very, very much for outlining that. And we've looked at some very, very challenging cases and we've looked at where some of these laws originate. Could I ask, where do you see the future of your field going? 
The future is unfortunately quite scary, if I'm honest. It's been made scarier by the overturning of Roe v. Wade because what Roe v. Wade being overturned shows us is that it is very possible to roll back abortion rights. These are not rights that once won, women will simply continue to have. The anti-abortion lobbies have been working really hard and it's taken them you know, a, a good number of years, but they've finally done it. They finally overturned Roe v. Wade. And the introduction of fetal homicide laws was part of that process because if you introduce into the canon of the criminal law and into the, the minds of lawyers, doctors, politicians, the general public, the media, that fetuses are victims and fetuses are people, then you introduce the idea that they should also be protected. They should be equally protected, if not potentially more protected than a pregnant woman, because unlike a pregnant woman who can supposedly make you know, any decision she wants, again, thinking about that vulnerability that I've just been talking about, then the fetus is more vulnerable and needs to be protected much more than a pregnant woman ever would need to be protected. And it also creates this notion that if third parties are going to potentially face prosecution for killing a fetus, if they attack a pregnant woman, why on earth would a pregnant woman not similarly face prosecution if she also kills a fetus, which many would argue abortion is is a killing of a fetus, it's a killing of a human. That's not a position I would take. I would say abortion is is medical care that women need and is a form of contraception, but that's not how it's conceptualized by many. So in the US, we can very much see this creation of the fetus being seen as a, a legal person who needs to be protected has led directly to the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Now, in England and Wales, as I outlined earlier, abortion isn't legal. It's illegal for women to have abortions. If a woman self-aborts, she is breaking the law. And we've seen two women convicted of the criminal offence of procuring a miscarriage in the last 10 years. There are two more women standing trial or facing trial for the same offence. And these are all women who ended their own pregnancies, um, again, after crises. And the criminal law has basically come down on them like a ton of bricks for choosing to do that. So we have a situation where abortion is already illegal in this country. We have a situation where we have these proxy fetal homicide laws. We have a situation where the position is a woman should do everything she can to protect her fetus. Although that's not cemented into law, it's certainly there in public discussion. The World Health Organization when they released their guidance on the reduction of alcohol use, stated that all women of reproductive age should be discouraged from drinking any alcohol just because she be- she could become pregnant. So we can see this. It's, it's already there in the cultural discussions of pregnancy and of women. So for me, it seems like unless we do something very soon, we are heading towards the same place that they are in the U.S., We are heading towards the same place where fetuses have legal protection, where a woman who does something that is perceived to harm a fetus will be facing criminal prosecution. And the next step from there is if abortion becomes illegal, because why would we protect older fetuses if we're not going to protect younger fetuses? It's a really, really scary place for, for women's rights at the moment. And thank you very much for outlining some of those key issues. 
could well be ahead and many with us now. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. For more information about our guests and for a transcript of today's episode, please see our show notes on our website. I would like to thank Kathy Mathers and Daniel Ridge for their help with today's episode and Alex Jungis from This Is Distorted. Thank you.